It's new, it's Iona, and it's on 1460 WVOX. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. One giant leap for mankind. Every decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. Oh, drat these computers. They're so naughty and so complex. Oh, you can call me Ray, or you can call me Jay. Hello, my name is Mr. Hat. You fellas are untouchable. Is that the thing no one can get to you? Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Welcome to the Iona College Radio Hour, broadcasting live from New Rochelle. All right, Mike Demurgis along with Joe D'Aloisio for the Iona College Radio Hour starting things off this Wednesday, February 20th, 2019. And we've got a really big show and we are honoring Black History Month. Uh, first up on the show today, uh, our MassCom junior, Nicole Mulderry, had a couple of good interviews. One with Chelsea Kabarkis, uh, an alum of Iona who's heading overseas to be a soccer reporter over in Europe. Uh, Nicole also doing double duty caught up with Joseph Giancaspro, who just got back from a month-long research excursion in the University of Tokyo. Also, we have coming up on the show an interview, an exclusive interview with Corey Galloway. He is the owner of the New York streets of an arena football league team, and he is the first black owner of a professional football team in America. But first, we start things off with Willie O'Ree, the first black player in NHL history. And it was just over 60 years ago, on January 18th, 1958, you made your NHL debut for the Boston Bruins. Yes, I did, sir. Talk about, you know, putting on the laces and playing in front of the fans and knowing that you're going to be the first black player to play in the NHL. And really what you become known as is is the uh, NHL's version of Jackie Robinson. Yeah, that's true. Um, I had gone to the uh, Bruins training camp on two occasions, uh, 1957 and 1958. And then when I went back to my parent uh, club, the Quebec Aces, uh, the Bruins uh, called the Quebec Aces and said, we want to reach meet the Bruins in Montreal to play two games against the Montreal Canadiens. When I got to Montreal, I was no stranger to the Montreal fans because I had played in the Montreal Forum against the Montreal Junior Canadiens and the Montreal Royals, a professional team there. And I played against the Montreal Canadiens in exhibition games. But stepping on the ice on January the 18th, 1958, I was playing in a regular scheduled NHL game, and um, it was exciting. Uh, you know, I, I didn't realize that I broke the color barrier until, uh, until the next day. My parents had came up from uh, my hometown and... Uh, some of my close friends, and we talked after the game, but um, the media didn't uh, say too much about the game. We had beat Canadians 3 nothing, and um, when I was recalled back up in 1960, um, the media said, oh, there's Willie O'Ree, he's a Jackie Robinson of hockey, so the name has stuck with me uh, over the years. You mean it wasn't on Twitter at the time in 1958? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no Twitter. <laughs> but it, uh, it was exciting. And before uh, the games, uh, Coach Mill Smith and General Manager Lynn Patrick sat down with me and said, Willie, um, we brought you up because we think you can add a little something to the club. 
um, just go out and uh, play your usual game. And uh, the um, the Bruin organization is behind you 100%. So that that kind of gave me a lift. And uh, you know, and I was out. I was the first trip. I was a little nervous, but after that, I settled down. And uh, you know, I played again. I didn't get any goals. No, uh, no, it's no penalties, but. Just to beat the Canadians in Montreal on a Saturday night, uh, it was just absolutely terrific. Yeah, the Montreal Canadiens, of course, the New York Yankees of hockey, and we're on the line with yes. Willie O'Ree, the first black player in the NHL. Uh, Mike Demergis here, the graduate coordinator for sports communication and media, and also with me is Andrew Allers, a MassCom senior, uh, born the Ivory Coast of Africa, grew up in Ontario, and is a big hockey player. And I know Andrew has a couple of questions for you, uh, Mr. O'Ree. Hey, sure. Willie. Uh, it's an honor to speak to you. Uh, you know, this this is a great moment for me. Um, I just wanted to know how you got into hockey yourself, because um, back then it wasn't really available to, to uh, black players as, as it is now. So how did how did you get into it? Well, I was born in a, in a small a small town called Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada, on the on the east coast, and um, I started skating at an early age. I had a rink in my backyard. And um, I started skating at the age of three, and I started playing organized hockey at the five, and I just played up to the rank. You know, there was the availability of ice everywhere. Uh, right in my backyard, I used to skate to school. There was ponds, lakes, rivers, creeks. Any place there was a patch of ice, uh, you know, kids could get out and play. And um, once I started, once I started playing, uh, I I was obsessed with just uh, playing the sport. Uh, when I was 14 years of age, um, and thanks to my older brother, who was not only my brother and my friend, but he was my mentor. And I told him I wanted to become a professional hockey player. Well, I needed to stay in school. That was one of the that was one of the things that my parents were very strict on, being being the youngest of 13 children. So I uh, I kept my grades up and uh, played till I was um, 17, and then I I left my hometown and went up to uh, Quebec, Canada to uh, play my first year junior. I was uh, uh, 18 years of age. Uh, you know, none of the players back then wore any helmets, no face shields, no cages, nothing to protect your face. And pucks were flying around in the ice, and sticks were flying around in the ice. And, you know, so I I just played. And then uh, my second year, I I had an unfortunate accident. Uh, the top shot, I'm from the death. Uh, Ricocheted off of a stick and struck me in the right eye, and I lost seven percent vision in my right eye. And the doctor told me that I'd never been hockey. And ninety-five percent blind in your right eye, and you really kept that a secret from the scouts and the teams because you felt if they knew you were blind in one of your eyes, you'd never get a chance to play in the NHL. Is that correct? That well, yeah, I would never get even chance to play professional. But I never took any eye exams. I, I uh, I worked out in the uh, in the summer and I uh, kept myself in good shape. So when I went away to a training camp, I was maybe one or two pounds away from my playing weight. And again, never stepped in front of an eye machine. And uh, the 21 years I played professional, and even when I went up with the Bruins, um, I played with one eye. Now you played 46 games in the NHL. Uh, won a couple of scoring titles in in the in, in the WHL. Uh, before we talk about you know your NHL career, uh, you had a chance to meet Jackie Robinson a, a couple of times, and he of course uh, Jackie played up in Montreal. Tell us about that yeah. encounter with Jackie. I met uh, I met Mr. Robinson on two occasions. Uh, I was playing baseball. I was playing about eight 
eight different sports uh, while I was were growing up, and um, I took to baseball and hockey. So uh, in 1949, I was playing baseball, and we won we won the championship that year. And the reward was our team was going to be taken to New York to see the Empire State Building and Radio Music City Hall and all the all the sites in New York. And I met Mr. Robinson after a game at Ebbets Field. I shook hands with him down by the dugout, and we talked about baseball. And uh, I mentioned to Mr. Robinson that I played, also played hockey, and he didn't realize that there were any black kids playing hockey. And I said, yeah, there's, there's a few. So that was 1949. Uh, in 1961, I was traded to the Los Angeles Braves, the uh, team in the, in the Western Hockey League out in Los Angeles, California. In 1962... The NAACP had a luncheon in Mr. Robinson's honor. I I got an invitation through the hockey club, and we went to the hotel, and Mr. Robinson was standing over in the corner talking to some media people, and the coach and um, three players from the um, the team in Los Angeles that I was playing for were just standing waiting for Mr. Robinson to finish. When he finished, the coach came over and said, Mr. Robinson, I'd like to introduce you to uh, three uh, of the hockey players here, especially Willie O'Ree, newly acquired from the Colorado Canadians of the Eastern Professional Hockey League. And Mr. Robinson turned and looked me in the eye, and, and he says, Willie O'Ree, says, uh, you're the young fellow I met in Ebbets Field. Now, he remembered me wow. from 1949 wow. to 1962, and that, that made a big impact on me. Wow, that, that's, that's simply incredible. Um, now there was another uh, black uh, athlete that you got that uh, I wanted to know if you got the chance to meet Herb Carnegie, who was Herb Carnegie. yes, who was originally supposed to be uh, in the NHL, but he was yes. unable to play as well. Herb Carnegie, I met Mr. Carnegie on several several occasions. I uh, I've been to his home in Toronto, you know, be, before he passed away. I know his I know his daughter very well, Bernice, and uh, Herb Herb was playing up in uh, up in Quebec with the Quebec Aces, the professional team there, a couple of years before I came. And he was definitely uh, NHL caliber. He could have he played in, uh, on any of the teams, the six teams back then. But uh, apparently um, he, was, he, was, he was turned down by, by the Rangers and also by, by Toronto. Willie, are you surprised that it took 16 years after you broke the color barrier in the NHL for another black player to, to, to enter the NHL in 1974? Yeah, there was uh, there, there was quite a separation there. You know, Mike Morrison came up after me, but there were other black players playing, um, you know, professionally uh, at that time. And, um, you know, I, I don't know why... Um, there, there, there wasn't another black player called up during that time because I had, I had played with two or, two or three that, that definitely could have played in the, in the NHL. And, um, you know, Herb, Herb, Herb definitely uh, could have been there. Art Dorrington, uh, the first uh, black professional hockey player, definitely could have been there. And um, there, were, there were three or four other players. But I, I just don't know the reason. Um, I, I just know when I, when I um, you know when I went up with the Bruins, um, they they called me up because they had they had watched me watched me play and decided that uh, I could add a little something to their to their club. Yeah, give the Bruins credit; they actually you know beat the Red Sox yeah. for having a black player on their team. And, you know, you would think baseball, right. the the Negro League, the history of the Negro League, all the great uh, black players, you know, coming up uh, through. 
you know, in that, and you think the Red Sox took them twelve years after Jackie Robinson to finally uh, incorporate right. incorporate that, and then the and the Bruins actually beat the Red Sox by one year. You know, credit to the Bruins right there. Yes, uh, I, I'm I'm very uh, you know I'm very happy and uh, and honored that the Bruins uh, thought enough of me to you know to bring me up and and uh, me being the uh, you know the first black player, but. You know, right now there are several. You know, there are several not only black players but players of color that are in the National Hockey League. And you know, when I played, there were only six teams. And then, it, you know, in 1967, it went to 12 teams, and now there's 31 teams with the addition of the the Vegas Club. So, um, but the programs that are that are in existence today, and the kids that are uh, the black kids and the kids of color that are playing hockey today. Um, you're gonna you're gonna see more uh, more kids uh, of color, um, you know, being being called up and, and playing in the NHL. Now you mentioned uh, black hockey players. I just wanted to go back uh, a couple years back. Uh, a lot of people don't know that there was the colored hockey league um, in the early early century, uh, start of the 19th century, uh, 1900s. Sorry, um, could you speak on that? Did your parents tell you any stories about that? How they were skating on the ice? Um, they couldn't play with with the other with the other players, um, but they started their own league. And it said that the first slap shot was started there. It said that they were the first uh, goalies to go down on the ice before you couldn't do that. Um, do you have any uh, any recollection of that? Well, I know I know a little bit about the uh, the colored leagues uh, in uh, in Nova Scotia. It started started in Halifax, and uh, you know there were a lot of there were a lot of good hockey players even back then. And you mentioned the you know the slap shot and. Uh, some of the things that uh, that now they use in, in the National Hockey League, but you know the um, uh, the, the teams back then, the, the teams back then were you know white you know white teams and, and, and color teams, and the uh, the white players, the white teams didn't want to play again, didn't want to play the, uh, against them because uh, you know they were good, they they they, they played the game and uh, and uh, and uh, had had a lot of uh, had a lot of talent on the team uh, on their team, but. Um, it's just it's just too bad that uh, you know back then that they had a bit more more scouts out and so they so they could have uh, you know scouted a lot of these players. In honor of Black History Month, we're on the line with the great Willie O'Ree. And Willie, uh, the racism that Jackie Robinson faced very well documented. Uh, what kind of you know racism did you face during your playing career? I faced uh, never. I faced racism, prejudice, bigotry, and ignorance. You know. And thanks to my older brother, as I mentioned, he was my mentor. And he taught me, he said, Willie, names will never hurt you unless you let them. And he says, if people can't accept you for the individual that you are, because you have the skills and the talent to play in the hockey league, don't worry about it. Just let all those racist slurs and remarks uh, go in one ear and out the other. And basically, that's what I, that's what I did. I, I fought a lot uh, when I first started. I fought because I had to, not because I wanted to, because... I always wanted to protect myself, and guys would take cheap shots at me, and, you know, I, I dropped the gloves in one fight, and lost fights, but I just stayed focused on what I wanted to do. I just wanted to play hockey and represent the hockey club to the best of my ability, and basically that's, uh, um, that's what I have in my mind when I 
uh, when I went to training camp every year. Well, you had that one advantage, and in hockey you could fight. Uh, Jackie Robinson didn't have that advantage. But yeah, I know. <laughs> Jackie had, had a guy called Pee Wee Reese, and he really, him and Jackie became friends, and, and Pee Wee said, hey, this guy's my teammate. He's going to be my brother. Right. Did you have anybody uh, on the Bruins say that and really come close to you no, and, and, help, and help you, you know, battle yeah, racism? The Bruins, the Bruins uh, were very supportive of me, and, uh, you know, I uh, even when um, I, I played uh, in the Western Hockey League, in the American Hockey League, um, all the players that I played with were very supportive. Now, there were players on the opposition that I had problems with, and even fans in the stands, but uh, I can honestly say that um, uh, all the teams that I played for uh, in my 21 years, um, my teammates were, were very supportive. Now, you said that you faced racism in the NHL, and obviously during your time there was a lot of racism. Um, what did you tell uh, the new black hockey players, you know, such as P.K. Subban, uh, Kevin Weeks, and, and uh, there was recently Devontae Smith-Pelly who had an altercation uh, when he was playing against New Jersey. There were fans that were escorted out. Um, what, do you tell the, what do you tell these new uh, NHL players? Well, you know, uh, I've had the pleasure of um, meeting quite a few of the black players and the players of color in, uh, in the league. And, uh, you know, Jerome McGinnis, um, well, you know, was the, was the first. And, and P.K. Subban and, and, uh, and, you know, Kevin Weeks. And uh, uh, when when I meet them, the first thing they say to me is, uh, Mr. O'Ree, I can't imagine uh, what you had to get through to uh, make it possible for uh, players like myself to play in the National Hockey League, and, and that's nice to hear from these guys that are playing in there. And they're they're in the league not because of the, because of their black. They're there because they have the skills and the ability to be there. And I'm uh, I'm just so um, thrilled to be able to see them play uh, during their playing career. And uh, while I never had, you know, they never had the chance to see me. Well, you, you've done great work, and, and you're famous for a quote called, if you think you can, you can. If you think you can't, you're right. Uh, That's it, true. Is, is that your message? I mean, look, we're living in difficult times. You talked about the 1960s. That was a little bit before my time, but I remember seeing the videos, the, the, the riots in Detroit. Um, you know, and, yeah. and now I, I never thought LA? I'd see, yeah, LA, I never thought I'd see what I'm seeing today. Uh, how do you talk to young people about you know keeping faith, believing in yourself, um, being and wor- working hard? I think that's getting lost on on all you. Well, is working hard is kind of being lost today. There's no substitute for hard work. You only get out of a thing what you can. And I tell these boys and girls that uh, on the schools and the places where I go and give presentations, you have to you have to feel good about yourself and like yourself, and you have to set goals for yourselves and you have to work towards your goals and. Don't let anybody tell you you can't attain your goal. If you feel strongly within your heart and within your mind, then go for it because you'll regret it later on. And I, um, I tell these boys and girls that, um, you know, when, when I lost my eye in, in 1955 and the doctor told me I'd never play hockey again, I just couldn't accept that because he was a fine surgeon, but the impact of the puck completely shattered the retina in my right eye, and there was nothing they could do. Even today, probably, they, they wouldn't be able to do anything to, you know, to recover the sight in my eye. So basically, I just tell them, if you set goals for yourself, and if you believe in yourself and work hard, you know, you can make a difference. And I just, told, I just said to myself, well, Lee, I'm just going to prove that doctor wrong. And I just went out and... Um, Every every game that I that I played, I just 
stayed focused on I want, what I wanted to do, and I, I let everything uh, everything else just went in one ear and out the other. You know, I you know I fought a lot, but uh, guys weren't going to drive me out of the league. I, I was going to leave the league because I didn't have the skills and the talent to, to play there anymore. Thank you for this time and sharing your memories here on you know Black History Month. Iona College, you know, appreciate you coming on with us. Um, and, and one more thing, I love your hats. Very Frank Sinatra, very Sammy Davishes. <laughs> your, your hats, those fedoras, are the best. I mean, I mean, you're bringing well, style back. Let me tell you, I, I get a lot. I get a lot of compl- uh, get a lot of compliments on, on my hats. But I, I, uh, I started wearing hats back in junior, and then you know when I turned pro, I wore hats, and I. I always I always wore hats, and it uh, I guess it's a trademark of mine now. You know, if I don't, if people don't see me with my hat on, they they wonder uh, if something's wrong. Yeah, very but, rat packish, you know. But you weren't wearing helmets in hockey, but you're going to wear a hat outside, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. <laughs> oh, man. W- Willie, Willie, thank you again so much. Uh, we appreciate the work you do, and keep going strong. And w- whatever we could do here at Iona College, you ever have anything going on, you want to spread the word or anything, we're welcome to have you on campus. All right, coming up, Nicole Mulderi sits down with Chelsea Kabarkas and Joseph Giancaspro next on WVOX, the Iona College Radio Hour. Explore Iona College and discover premier academic programs taught by gifted and engaging faculty, hands-on learning opportunities, and access to internships in nearby New York City. It's all offered in a diverse, welcoming community with over 80 student clubs, Division I sports, and a culture of service to others. Move the world at Iona College. Learn more at Iona.edu. Hi, I'm TV news reporter Anthony Carlo, and you're listening to the Iona College Radio Hour on WVOX. Iona College, part of the history of New Rochelle since 1940. Iona Spotlight, featuring our accomplished alumni. I'm Nicole Maldary, Mass Comm student and junior at Iona College here for WVX, and I am joined by Chelsea Kabarkas, a Iona alum and a MSG reporter and model. So what inspired you to pursue this career? What inspired me to pursue this career? That's a great question to start off this interview. Um, Well, I was an athlete to start off, and I kind of always knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't necessarily know when I wanted to pursue, like, the whole broadcasting career, Mm -hmm. um, just because it's hard. It's not easy, and it's a lot of work. Uh, I got injured, and then that's when I realized, all right, soccer is not going to last forever. I really need to put my all into into broadcasting or something that I can fall back on once I'm done. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where everything started and everything started to like unravel and now I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> and you have such an amazing career. You were talking before, you're a model with sports and going on broadcasting and being live. So like, how did you think your Iona career impacted that? Well, Michael Demergis was an amazing professor. He yeah. always went above and beyond to help me I would stay in the studio after you know after after I was done with class and I'd edit my videos and I'd make sure everything was really good and he was really really hard on me just because he knew that I wanted to learn you know you get these students where it's just like they go through the motions and I mean even athletes you know you get you get to class and you're extremely tired but they don't really pay attention to anything but me I was always tuned in I was always like all right I want to be better I want to do this um and man I have to thank him because he helped me so much he was he was hard on me you know he tell he told me things that I needed to hear Mm -hmm. uh perfect your speech don't speak like that don't stand like that you're reading too fast um 
and yeah, sometimes I felt like, oh, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe, you know, I'm just not white enough. I guess you can take some Spanish, you know, maybe yeah. I don't speak proper enough. Um, but you can work on that. And because of him, he like really helped me like pursue this and kind of just move forward and believe in myself. And you mentioned before that you face a lot of adversity because you're a woman and because you're Latina or you're Spanish. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the greatest, what is like the greatest challenges you face because of that? Um, well, yeah, Latina is the correct term. Okay, I never know which <laughs> term to use, so I don't know. No, it's cool, me either. I'm like, well, I'm Spanish, but you're not from Spain. Okay, um, well, I remember I got picked on because of my hair. Mm -hmm. A producer was just like, your hair's too curly, it's too much for television, which honestly made me feel really bad about myself, made me walk out of there and be like, what? Why, like, I, I didn't get this, like, they don't like my look. And as a girl, I mean, going through that phase in your life, 20, 21, 22, 23, you're really unsure of yourself. You're yeah. insecure, you know? So to have an older man look at me dead in my eyes and tell me, mm, you know, you're too ethnic, that hurt, you know? Uh, took me two days, <laughs> took me two days to get over it. Yeah. But then it fueled me. I was like, you know what? I have a voice. Um, I am who I am and I'm gonna make a name for myself. And you know what? Later on, I'm gonna laugh in your face. And I actually ended up getting hired. I got it, I ended up getting hired for them. Um, and he was terrible. When I tell you he was terrible, I mean he was he was terrible. He was a producer in my ear. Uh, mid like mid sentence of when I'm live, on air, television, MSG. He's screaming in my ear, that's so stupid. What ask the question like this. Meanwhile, I have to listen to what the person, the person that I'm interviewing, what they're saying to me so I can have a follow-up question. I have to smile or I have to look like I'm really into what what he's saying. Mm -hmm. But then I have this producer in my ear, you know? Um, anyways, long story short, move forward. I would I would get out of like my my sessions or whatever and I'd call my dad crying. Like, Dad, this isn't this isn't for me. I'm I'm too Spanish. I'm too like I caught myself saying that. I'm too Spanish, I'm, I'm not proper enough, I'm not smart enough, and that's always been my thing. I'm not smart enough, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm stupid. Meanwhile, I was like, no girl, um, you got through college, <laughs> a very good college actually, yeah. so you're not stupid. <laughs> you just have a different way of being. I'm not someone that reads books all day, you know, I have, I have different talents, you know? Um, but I look back and I'm like, you know, you know what, he helped me. He helped me because now the place that I'm in right now, it has given me so much confidence that when I walk into a room, I shine and I make sure I shine. And whether that sounds cocky or whatever, that gets me through my day, you know? And and to be a woman, you have to feel like that. Yeah. Because this this industry is male dominant and male dominant and it's hard. It's really hard. It's, it's hard being a Latina, it's extremely hard. But from there, I got hired to do, um, to be the in-stadium host for NYCFC. Yeah, there were certain things that I didn't do so great because I was, I was nervous, I'm human, you know, but you learn from those experiences. Yeah. But fast track forward, I ran into him and he was actually working for NYCFC as a freelancer or something, I don't know. And he kind of looked at me, he's like, oh, you're here? And I was like, yeah, I'm here. I was like, I'm actually the in-stadium host. Oh, wow. And I was like, yeah so thankful for your amazing producing skills that's why i'm here and that's kind of when i realized it was just like you know what i'm my own person but now it's my ball game so you're gonna go through like you're gonna go by me yeah um so yeah 
do you think that you were that added pressure that added cruelness was because you were a latina woman or because you were young like why do you think that people i had was that young reaction? i was a woman i was latina i i have this whole big belief but then you know what i kind of look back and i'm just like he has a personal problem yeah that's not my problem that's your problem and there's a lot of people in the industry like that a lot of people and that's their problem the way they make you feel that's a reflection on them that's not that's not me Nicole Maldary here with Chelsea Kabarkas. Um, you mentioned before that there were a lot of learning experiences from all the things you've been through in terms of getting where you are. What has been some of the greatest learning experiences you've had? Uh, some of my greatest learning, that was, that was definitely one of them because I was able to get through a really difficult time. I was uncomfortable and you grow through being uncomfortable. Yeah. I, that, I'm a really, really big believer in that and I had to like trust the process. You know, it was I was going through that for a bigger purpose mm -hmm. to be where I am now. Um, so that was definitely one of the obstacles I went through that was really, really tough on me. And just having to learn how to transition from entertainment to sports. Sports is a black and white world as in, it's very black and white, as in um, it's really precise. You have to know your facts. You have to speak a certain way. Uh, you have to express yourself a certain way and you have to paint a picture and you have to keep the audience engaged. Mm -hmm. So that was very hard for me. That was very challenging. But when you're challenged, that's when you grow. I would sit there for hours rewriting scripts, rewriting my questions to make sure I remember. Um, I invested in a hosting coach, which I love her, Jill Montgomery. Sorry if I didn't say your name right, girl, and if you're watching, sorry. Um, <laughs> Jill. Jill's amazing. Not everyone that you work with is necessarily for you but Jill was for me because of her personality of how she was of she wasn't she was unapologetically her herself yeah you know she'd make me laugh while correcting me you know she was very vulgar she was just herself you know so it was like that's how you got through to me um I had a hosting coach before that paid 450 dollars it was a waste of my 450 dollars and imagine at that time I was making what 300 dollars so that's more than what I was making. Yeah. And I was investing in myself. So that's definitely sports. The whole transition to sports was a really big game changer for me. Um, I'm still in that world now. I'm bettering myself, improving myself every day. Uh, I'm learning my craft. I'm 27, but I'm still learning my craft. I still learn. I still watch TV. I make sure to watch TV and just really, really just look at other reporters you know see what they're doing what sets them apart from me mm -hmm. and then how can I put my own twist to it mm -hmm. so for all the people who are still learning their craft um what's some advice that you have for them keep on going it's okay to make mistakes you're going to make mistakes and you have to make mistakes because that's how you're going to learn so that's the advice I give to them because once you make a mistake some people get discouraged some people are just like mm, maybe I'm not good enough I mean even in the class the, the young the young man that was sitting in the front, he kind of, he made a comment. He was like, you know, I post these things and I get discouraged because people don't really like it. You're not here to live by other people. You're yeah. not here to live by their expectations or what makes them content. Absolutely not. You're here for yourself and you're working on yourself and you're improving yourself every day. So make mistakes. Make mistakes when you can. And then when that big, when that big moment comes, you're going to be ready. Um, and not, not be so hard on yourself. <laughs> no, that's great advice, and I really appreciate it because going into this, it's it's great. So thank you. No, it's hard. Like this industry is really really hard. Um, I was telling Mike, Mike, I was telling Mike Demerges that I wasn't prepared 
for all the nitpicking that was gonna happen once I got in the industry, how, how much I was gonna get picked on or how many no's I was gonna get, how many times I was gonna get denied. Mm-hmm. I'm an athlete, so I'm, I'm already a fighter as it is, mm-hmm. and I already, like, I'm a perfectionist, but when you get no after no after no after no after no, and then you're, you're getting picked at for everything, it sort of tears you down, you know? It's normal for you to feel some type of way. Um, so I tell everyone, I'm like, surround yourself around positive people. And the people that aren't for you, people that you thought that that were beneficial and like were good for you, and it's okay for that period of your life. Yeah, they might have been good, but people change, you know. Um, and once that person doesn't serve you anymore, or doesn't serve your soul anymore, and doesn't get the best out of you, that's it. It's okay. This is the Iona College Radio Hour, fourteen sixty WVOX.